Hi everyone, I'm Mike Novogratz and this is Next with Nova. All right, everybody. This is Mike Novogratz. We got a special edition of Next with Novo. I've got my good friend, the legendary Ray Lewis, probably the best defensive football player that ever walked the gridiron, but more importantly, a state champ wrestler from Florida and an all-around great guy. Ray, welcome. Hey, Mike. So good to see you, man. It's been a while. It has. I tell you a story. I had Ray to talk to my people when I was at Fortress. And we were down in Miami around a dinner table, and he was so intense that one of the guys at the dinner table fainted as Ray was inspiring us to greatness. Yeah. And so that was the first time I met you, but that was, a, that was a, an impressive speech. Oh, man, I appreciate you, man. I remember that. I remember that, too, absolutely. Yeah, and then I had Ray meet the, uh, the Olympic team before we wrestled in Times Square. And then I realized I don't think there is a better motivational speaker that has ever walked the earth, especially for sports teams before they compete. That moment, I try to steal some of his shtick a few times. It hasn't worked nearly as well. <laughs> Where do you get that from, Ray? Was that, that's like just a natural gift, or is that from all your hard work? Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, uh, I definitely wouldn't call it a natural gift. I would definitely call it with learning a lot, going through a lot, seeing a lot, and then trying a lot. Um, once you get to that point, you start to realize that a lot of people that you play with, play for, whoever it is, they don't have the same tangible things that you may have. And one of those, and one of the thing, one of the characteristics as a leader is you have to observe all of that, Mike. And when you do, year after year, right, playing football for you know high school, then college, University of Miami, then the Ravens, every year it's like new guys coming in. And so you're like, how do I piece it together? And so that's why I, I really think it all came from just all of my experiences. Yeah. Talk about growing up in Florida, uh, what it was like, and then how you got into wrestling. Because a lot of my f friends are wrestlers. Yeah, I'm going to be real quick, Mike, because I'm trying to thank you. appreciate this. I, uh, I started growing up in Florida, of course. Um, my pops passed a few weeks ago. Um, rest in peace, pops. But, you know, pops wasn't around. But I started to hear these rumors about how great of a wrestler my, um, my father was. And so in the ninth grade, I started playing basketball. And then I was like, no, I don't like basketball. And they was like, why you don't like basketball? I was like, because everybody cried for fouls. Like, it's a physical <laughs> game, right? You got to play the game. And I quit. i never forget. It's the only thing I quit in my life. And I quit the team. I walked out of the gym. And as I was walking out of the gym, this guy was standing to my right, who later became my state champion coach, whose name is Stephen Poole. And he looked at me and he said, hey, young man, come here. He said, come try this. And I walked in the cafeteria, right? And Matt's all on the floor. You know about it. Matt's all on the floor and it's sweaty. And it's, and I was like, I'm never doing that. <laughs> and then and then the next year I went to high school and my cousin, um, a guy by the name of Maurice at the time, he was like, bro, you got to wrestle. You got to wrestle. You're so strong. So I said, look, I'm going to try it out. I tried out wrestling my sophomore year. And uh, I got fourth in state, and I didn't know nothing. I didn't know no technique. I just knew the bat hug. I knew how to single leg take down. So I knew how to squeeze people and just get them down. But I got all the way to fourth uh, place. And then um, this guy by the name of Tober Bain handed me a brochure from 1975. And it was my father. And he had every record in the book, like every record. Fastest pin, most wins, just, oh, my gosh, on and on. 
And I took that and I said, because I was using a different side of pain at the time, I was using pain of not having him around. And I said, I was gonna break every one of his records. And so I put that up on my wall and that's what made me really fall in love with the one-on-one -on -one battle with wrestling. And so when I started wrestling, I was like, hmm, wait a minute. Nobody can make any excuse. This ain't on nobody else but you. You and that person that's entering this mat, it's a one-on-one -on -one battle. And from there, Mike, it took off. And then uh, my junior year, when I got second in state, they, they took a point away from me for hip tossing. It got too high, whatever. And then my senior year, I came back, and we had never had a state champion wrestler at my high school, ever. And I looked at my coach, Poole, um, Stephen Poole, and we stayed at the practice every day. And he said, you will be the first. And I said, coach, I'm not losing for nothing. And my senior year, I went and, uh, I went and became the first state champ ever um, in wrestling at uh, Kathleen's senior year. And then I went to Greco-Roman. Then I went to freestyle. Then I went national, national. Yeah, and I just, I just fell in love with it. And I, honestly, I credit my wrestling. Everything that I did wrestling, I guarantee you, took my career to a totally different level just because of the leverage of it. Yeah. So then Miami. Mm -hmm. The U. Yeah. In the in the in the golden era in lots of ways, right? Yeah, yeah, that era. When it was yeah, that era. <laughs> and and I played my last high school game against Fort Myers. They was watching the number one recruit in the nation named Jamie German. And I didn't have a scholarship, Mike. Um, I didn't have no offers. Florida State invited me there. I walked out. Um and four days before signing day, the University of Miami called me. Dennis Erickson, wow. and he said, we want to give you the last scholarship. One of our kids just blew out his knee riding a four-wheeler. And I was like, really? And I, he was like, yeah. And he was like, but you got to be in school in the next four days. And I was like, I got I to gotta go. I got to go. I ran home to my grandmother. I was like, I got a scholarship. I got a scholarship. I'm going to University of Miami. And I walked into the University of Miami, and uh, I felt something. I felt that I was... I was way beyond my years mentally um, where I was. And I'll never forget when I got there, um, Warren Sapp, who's the most dominant player in college football that I had seen at that time. And then, you know, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, he was there. And, and The Rock took a real interest in me. So we had an awesome relationship as a little kid, as a little broke kid from Lakeland who's just down there trying to make it happen. And the first day we got, <laughs> the first day we put on pads and we got to practice, Mike, and they said, no, 52, get in there. And I said, the first day I got there, I said, there's nobody out here that can beat me to the football. And they're like, what? <laughs> Who says that? Do you know how many people we got here at the University of Miami? I was like, yeah, but I'm just telling you. And from there, boom, it took off, man. So UM was, UM was a culture. It's a culture. It's a culture of a brotherhood. Um, what Rohan Marley done for my career um, as a brother and still do, does for me as a man was just absolutely incredible, Mike. So that that lesson that I learned, all the lessons I learned in the University of Miami, oh my goodness, it took me everywhere I wanted to go and beyond. Yeah. Awesome. Are you still friends with The Rock? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every time we see each other, we, we give each other this look. <laughs> I'd, love to see, I'd love to see kind of a pro wrestler match. You versus The Rock. <laughs> oh my goodness, Mike. You're about to start something. <laughs> Well, you know, I was actually thinking, and I, I was actually thinking, I was like, damn, Ray wrestles. He hits the shit out of people. Like, 
in some ways, maybe you missed your third career, which should have been UFC. (laughs) You would have just been a scary, like I know Daniel Cormier. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. I love Daniel Cormier. I cannot, you know, think, say nicer things about him. He won the, you know, the light heavyweight and then the heavyweight champ of the world. But I'm looking at his physical body type and I'm looking at yours. I'm just wondering. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, te- I'm telling you, it's it's so funny because you know me, me and The Rock, we had a special just we just had a special relationship. It was a special brotherhood, right? He took me in as a as a young brother, used to sit down at the practice and just talk to me, and just we just had that. We had that, and he shared his vision, you know, of kind of what his plan was, following his father and his uncle Jimmy Superfly Snooker. So all of these things was just rolling, 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 and I was like, he asked me, I was like, look, man, honestly. I'm gonna be the greatest linebacker to ever do it. He was like, really? I said, I'm gonna be the greatest linebacker to ever do it. And he really believed in me, right? When I didn't have a lot, I had him, I had Warren Sapp, I had Rowan Marley, I had all of my crew at the University of Miami that just believed what I was saying. And from that point, it just took off. But when you talk about the wrestling side, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time was Kenny Mundy. And- I love Kenny. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And me and Kenny, we work together now and, and we're working together to do similar, the same thing, Mike. Um, um, a company that I just uh, got a partnership with um, is uh, out of Geneva, Ohio, called Spire, Spire Institute. It's essentially the exact same thing as uh, IMG. And so we're bringing wrestling there now. And so Kenny meets the head guy, the CEO now, Jonathan, um, in a few weeks. But we're starting to bring that around. Why? Because two years ago, this is going to blow your mind. Two years ago, I started to train, right? Let me tell you what I was, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me tell you what I was training for. I was training to get down to 211 pounds to actually go wrestle in the Olympics, to try, to, to try out, to try to make it. And, uh, and then just this past week, um, you know, the Olympic trials was this week and Kenny, me and Kenny was talking. He was like, bro, the dream still lives. And I said, you know what? I'm with it. I'm with it. Let's figure it out. All right. Talk to a little bit. You go to the pros. And I remember it was such an interesting story. You go to the pros, and even though you're a, a rookie, you started acting like you weren't a rookie. Yeah. Uh, not in a bad way, like you with the owner, the coach. Give us a little of that. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, getting to Baltimore, right, and not having a, an identity, right? We didn't have an identity. We, we didn't. It was Baltimore, right, at the time. We didn't even have a logo at the time. And so – it was, it was old Cleveland, right? The Browns coming over and it was the mentality. It was, that, that's what it was, right? I'm teaching this on my show, um, Mike. I love you on it as well. But um, it was about a mentality, about what the culture was and, and how do you win and how do you prepare and things like that. And coming from Miami, because I went so fast in Miami, right? Started as a true, a true freshman and then jumped through the ranks and got out my junior year, and then got in the league. And I'll never forget, um, Pepper Johnson was a um, was the middle linebacker at the time, and Marvin Lewis was the defensive coordinator. And I said, and they gave me number 53, right, <laughs> first camp, right? And I'm like, I went to him at the practice, and I said, Marvin, I can't wear number 53, and I can't play weak side linebacker. He was like, what, what do you mean? That's what we have you. I said, listen to me, Marvin. 52 is my number, and I am a middle linebacker. And I'm just telling you this, like, there's no – linebacker better than me in no league whether he was like really i was like yeah and so boom two days later i come in and we get ready to start uh defensive meeting so we're st- telling the starters to stand up and the starters stand up and i don't see pepper johnson 
And Marvin stands up and hands me a 52 jersey and says, you're the starting middle linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and from there, I looked at him, and he'll tell you the exact words. I looked at him, I said, listen, let me do what I do. And he said, whatever that means, do it. So I went through the culture, and I started looking at the culture of how we practice, how we prepare, how seriously we take it. And so instead of just being a, a player on the field, I took it from a coach level to a GM level, right? Because I wanted to know everything. I started sitting in the defensive meetings. I wanted to know the tendencies of offenses and what this coordinator would, uh, does on second and third downs, things like that. So I started getting into the, te- the, the really intricate parts of the football game that coaches think about, but a lot of players don't think about. So I started thinking about that. So then Ozzy, credit to him, i never forget. He said, this is your team. Run it. Run it. When you get to practice, when you get to the meetings, when you walk in that building, act like it's yours. And you're like you're like 22 years old at that point. Yeah, I was 20, actually 21. 21 years old. I was actually 20. I was actually 21. I, I got drafted at I got drafted in 19th in April that when the draft came in um, April and then May 15th is my birthday. Then I turned 20. So I was 20 years old um, wow. when I started to make this move. And I'm telling you, I think what happened was seriously like I said this before, like they had this, they had this thing about him. Rest in peace. Art Modell, he had this look in his eye. And I used to always say to Art, I used to say, Papa, what do you want? And he says, I'm not, I, Ray, in 40, it's 40 years, I, I haven't seen a Super Bowl. And I told him that day, I said, I, I promise you this. I promise you, you give me three years, three to four years, I will bring you a Super Bowl to Baltimore. And i never forget it. He looked at me that day, Mike, and he said, are you serious? I said, all right, listen, I'm telling you, I see things differently. I know what we can do. From that day, Ozzy came down and said, Ray, Ozzy, me and Art talk, me and um, at the time, it was uh, Ted Marchabroda. He said, we all talk, and it's your team. The next year, Brian Billick came in, and Brian Billick came in and sat me down, and he was like, how, do, how should we practice? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring in this, this West Coast offense fast, but I need you to teach my defense how to practice. So there, there's a culture in Baltimore that I started years ago. Wherever the ball at, as a defensive player, as a middle linebacker, I was touching the ball. Mike, if it's a 99-yard pass touchdown, I'm running to, the, running to the receiver, touching him, sprinting back to the huddle, and getting ready for the next play. It was a culture. It was a mindset. So when I started to distribute that mindset, God, God bless that I had Sam Adams, Tony Saragusa, Michael McCray, Rob Burnett. Then I got Rob. Then I got Rob Woodson, who's probably one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen in my life. But when Rob got there, it was like, wait a minute, this can be really special. And so that's when I think the culture. Everybody started to believe in everything, every word that I that came out of my mouth. They started to hold on to. And then the standard wasn't about the coaches, right? We started getting into meetings, and coaches didn't have to say nothing. I would look at Sam and say, Sam, if you're going to stay front side, stay front side. Don't come back because I'm going to take care of that. Right, Rod? Keep your, You handle the pass. We're going to handle the front seven. Peter Bower came in. Jamie Sharper came in. So as you see, we had older pieces. We had wisdom. But we had a couple of young pieces that we just had to nurture and make it fit. And once we put all that together, man, Baltimore just turned into this culture of it's going to be rough to beat us. We're going, we're going to make it hard on you. It's going to be physical. We're going to know everything you're doing. And that, and that was kind of my, my little rivalry with my, one of my greatest friends, Peyton Manning. 
It's like, that's what made, made me and Peyton the way we were. Because in 1997, 98, we went to the first Pro Bowl. And his wife, I tell this story all the time, like, his wife ran up and she was like, he was like, my wife loves you. <laughs> loves you. And I'm like, what? Okay, what? Tell me, what, what is this dynamic? And she said, she said, my husband studies you more than I've ever seen any man. And I said, really? And I didn't, and I really didn't, didn't, it didn't click until I got back and I asked Marvin and he said, Ray, when you say you're the best, everybody's watching you. Everybody wants to know how to beat you. And that's when my film study came in. I'm telling I credit a lot of my film work to Peyton Manning because he said one thing to me that forever changed my career. And that was my study habits. And Mike, I, I just turned into a nerd. I turned into a nerd. I wanted to know everything about football. And I think that's what a culture in Baltimore was created. Yeah. Awesome. And what was it like? You, you finally won the Super Bowl. What did Modell, uh, how was that? How was that moment? <laughs> well, the moment was, it was for him personally, it was probably the greatest moment of his life. And I'm listening to him tell me this because we got ready to play Tennessee in Tennessee in a division around. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not losing this game. And he looked at me and he said, you're not, I said, all right, listen to me. And he said, okay, okay. He gave me a kiss. He always grabbed me, gave me a kiss. And I never forget it. When I caught that interception and went in the end zone against Tennessee, I remember coming, coming to practice the next day and he said, everything you said is happening. Next week we got ready to go see Oakland and I'm like, they won't score. And he was like, what do you mean they won't score? I was like, they won't score, right? Next thing you know, Oakland didn't score. We get to the Super Bowl, and we're all together in the meeting, and I stood up in the meeting, and they was like, Ray, you got to speak. I said, it's simple. Defensively, they're not scoring. Or you will have your Super Bowl at the end of this day. I guarantee it. And we did that. And to see his reaction after that, to see Rod Wilson's reaction. Rod Wilson had never won a Super Bowl, going through what he had went through with Pittsburgh letting him go. To give that Super Bowl to those guys, I was 25 at the time, so I was a young kid. So it didn't sit with me the way it sat with Art Modell or Rod Wilson. But I'm telling you, Mike, man, what I did, what we did for that city, what we brought to that city, when you saw that parade that we had in that city, that city had never felt that togetherness. And that's why that's why Baltimore's forever my city. And that's why I've never left that city and been there 17 years. Yeah. What you retired? How old were you when you retired? 37. 37. So you got 20 or whatever, 63 years to get to 100. Uh, you leave with 80,000 fans chanting your name, doing the dance, like this amazing adrenaline of being in the public eye. How do you prepare yourself for the next 63 years? How do you keep the joy? How do you keep the motivation? What was your mindset when you were leaving to be like, okay, Ray Lewis, chapter three. So once again, I'm going to bring up a good friend, um, Peyton Manning. And this is why after we beat them in 2012 in Denver, the buses was packed. Everybody was ready to go get on the plane. You know, Baltimore was going to throw a party. And it was interesting because the respect that we have for each other, Peyton Manning came in that meeting. I mean, he came and waited for me outside of my locker room with his son. 
I mean, he was out there for a good minute. I don't know how long, 35, 40 minutes, whatever, but he was out there a good minute. And there's a picture that we have where um, this guy caught this picture of me and Peyton sitting there. And we have prepared for everything, right? We prepared for training camps. We prepared for Super Bowls. We prepared for Pro Bowls. But you never prepare to walk away from the game, right? And I told Peyton that day, I said, Peyton, I prepared for this moment. I seen this moment. Like, I'm not exaggerating this. When I tore my tricep against the Cowboys in October, they said I was done. They said I was I, my career was over. But I, I believe differently. And I saw something, Mike. And this, ain't, this is no exaggeration. I saw me hosting the Lombardi Trophy when I tore my tricep in October. So when I called Ozzy Newsom and I said, do not put me on IR, injury reserve. Do not do that. He was like, Ray, I got to clear up a spot. I said, Ozzy, listen to me. I'm coming back. He was like, if it's one person I'm going to listen to, boom. He didn't put me on IR. Me and Peyton talked about that because what I prepared for was what I seen. And, and this is me. Did I have a chance to leave Baltimore? Absolutely. Would I ever leave Baltimore? Absolutely not. Why? Because I wanted to do what you what we're talking about now. I wanted to set up the next 63 years of my life. I wanted my foundation to forever be one color, Raven. From there, what do I do from there? Now I get into my communities. I help my communities. I build everything. Leadership at any level is leadership. So I took what I learned from a football field and I took it in the communities, right? Just like my Power 52 company, my solar company, right? We teach all of these things, 52 core principles before you learn anything about solar. It's 52 core principles of being a better human being. Because if you're a better human being, you're going to have a better worker, football player, basketball player, whatever it is. So I started to prepare for that while I was playing. I tell, I tell young kids this all the time. When you shake a man's hand, shake a man's hand firm, look him dead in the eye and let him know you're not just a football player. You are a man. Your name is your identity, but it's, it all, it's also your brand. So I started working on that while I was playing. So when I got ready to retire, I just retired from the game. I didn't retire from life. That's when I got excited about life. I was like, wait a minute. So now I'm done. I don't have to be in training camp every year. I don't have to be beating my body up. I, don't, I had nine surgeries. I have no more surgeries, hopefully, that I'm going through. And what do I want to do next? And then um, me and Jim Brown, um, we got together and I started talking to Papa Brown. And I said, Papa, teach me everything. And I started, me and him started, I started going out to his house. He came to my house. I went back to his house. And I just started learning, 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 right? How to just help people and how to just continue to be a leader and continue to be a force, not just on a football field. So I was preparing for a while I was playing. So I wouldn't say I just walked into it blindly. Right. Say, hey, let me, just, let me just go try this. Nah, it was more of me preparing for that. So when I got to that point, Mike, like what I'm doing now, everything I'm doing now, like I won't do an endorsement deal. I don't want endorsement deals. I don't need endorsement deals. If 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 there is if it's not a partnership, then there's nothing there's nothing for this to talk about, right? Because that's how that's how that's how wealthy I built my brand up so that I could be the person that people respect, people trust. So when I transition from football to business, it's the same principles. Leadership is leadership at any level, whether it's sport, whether it's lawyer, whether it's doctors, whoever it may be. It's still leadership. And so that's where I kind of took off. And I said, and now even to, uh, you know, um, public speaking and all these different things I speak in, 
I speak everywhere. There's nowhere I don't speak. And so um, I did prepare for it, though, Mike. Absolutely. That's awesome. Since we met way back, uh, I have thrown myself into the criminal justice reform space uh, with a real belief that we've got an unjust system out there. There's an unjust system. It is racially biased. It is economically biased. And it just sucks. Um, Through that, I've really learned that none of us are our worst moment. We all screw up in life. Some people screw up worse. Some people screw up a little bit. But we've got to get away from this world of throwaway people. Uh, and so look at your own life. And listen, answer where you, you, if you're comfortable. And if there's anything you don't like, we can take it out of the, the video. Uh, you know, your life hasn't always been easy, right? Your dad wasn't there when you grew up. You got in trouble in Atlanta. You had to deal with that. You did it in a way that was authentic, that did it in the long run damage your brand, that people trusted you and you've built this amazing career. Can you talk a little bit about those setbacks, the lessons you learned and how you got through them? Cause you know, you go from being everyone loving you to everyone pissed at you. It's not an easy position to be. Yeah, you can, you know, it's, it's actually two ways that you can look at any issue that you find yourself in, right? <clears throat> you can say, oh, oh, why me? Or what do I do with it, right? And so it's all perspective. Everything is perspective. And so not having a father, when I didn't have a father, I put a perspective to it. Okay, so now I got to be the father for my brothers and sisters. I got to be the father for many, right? Going through what I went through back way then, it didn't, the only thing that changed, it it made me change my awareness, right? Of who I was, where my vision was, and everybody that I was hanging with can't go where I'm going. Right, that's facts. And so what happened when that started to, to evolve, one of the things that I teach people and tell people all the time, you are in control of your life. Not what people say, not what people do, not what people tell you you're gonna be. You control your life. And so I took full control of my life, right? Mike, in 20 years, in 20 years, like, I ain't said a curse word in 20 years, maybe joking, but I ain't said a curse word in 20 years. I ain't been to him. I said four of them already in this interview. Don't worry, don't worry. I was, count, I was counting for you. I was counting for you. <laughs> My mom's gonna yell at me. But it's the, it, it, was, it was how I took everything that I didn't have and I didn't make it a bad thing, even though it was painful. I tell people all the time, there's a way to use pain, but you can't use pain and make yourself angry by using pain. You got to be able to use pain and use it to bring joy. How do you find joy in pain? A lot of people think every time you feel pain, pain is just pain. You know, confusion is just confusion. It is. It is. But there's other routes on how to beat it and how to deal with it. And that is consistently sticking to who you are and never change it. Stand for something or Mike, you will fall for absolutely anything. And that's for me. I took a stand in my life early because I had been through a lot early. And I finally realized what happened, honestly, God wanted me to be the man that I am today. The person I am today is because I trusted it. My faith is the reason why we're having this conversation on how I made it out of the other side of it. Not my worries about what people think and what people say, because they're gonna say what they wanna say. But when you know your truth, your truth goes hand in hand with your discipline. And your discipline is the creators of your imagination. And if you can imagine what it feels like to go and achieve something despite, in spite 
of your downfalls. Mike, the sky's the limit. And that's why I live the way I live. And I try to teach this to people that it's a mentality, Mike. It's not this money. It's not this fame. It's not this what I went through. It's a mentality. What would you do? With, what will you do with your situation when everybody is cut out from you? What do you do now? And I called it a cocoon season because in a cocoon season, just like a caterpillar, it webs itself in the finest silk that man can't make. It can't take mama. It can't take brother. It can only take itself. Every surgery I had, I went into cocoon season. Every pain I went to, I went into cocoon season. What does cocoon season mean? I made myself better, not just physically, mentally, how I spoke, how I saw life. Every affirmation every day. What do I recite every day to myself? Oh man, I, I exploded with I exploded with joy because I said, wait a minute, if I'm if I'm strong, you can be strong and you can be built and you can be lift a lot of weights. But I'm telling you, when you're able to control your mind and what goes in your mind, Mike, the sky's the limit, man. And that's what I try to teach people all the time about it ain't what you're going through, it's your perspective of how you deal with it, just like COVID. Just like COVID, right? Let's go back. Let's circle back from COVID, right? You think about all of the, the injustices that, that we've seen, right? And that's why I'm doing my show, um, doing my um, documentary um, right now with one of the greatest producers in the, in the game right now, Mike Tallin. And it's just interesting that I'm telling this story of this documentary, right, of what and how the injustices of this world is so ugly. And we're saying, oh, I can't believe it was like this. Oh, it's been like this. Trust me, I can raise my hand and tell you that it, it, it's not a fair fight. For, for Afro-American uh, Afro man, sometimes we're counted out before we're ever counted in. And you have to be okay with fig figuring out a way to balance that and not use anger to do it, right? So that's why you think about my solar company. My solar company, we have a deal because we fight recidivism. Why? Because I'm tired of seeing black men go in and out of jail, right? And follow the same system over and over and over and over, right? So in, in my solar company, instead of sending them, we have a deal with just um, the Cole Pastoria, right? Uh, she's a judge of Baltimore. Instead of sending these kids to prison for six months to a year, send them to my program. And when they come out, they have way more than just a solar job. They have an identity. They have they, they now have a purpose, but they have a foundation. So all of these things of when you talk about the injustices of what's going on, like I said, you can you can get out there and scream and hope somebody hear you, or you can start to make things happen. And that's why right now we're in our 17th graduation um, coming up since 2005 after the unrest of Freddie Gray. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, we're trying to, we're, we, we've got a pretty big group here now at Galaxy Gives, and we're trying to fund the right programs and trying to change the mindset of people. Uh, it drives me freaking crazy that everyone I talk to about the criminal justice system, you know, parole take for it. Uh, I always tell people, I think we should get away with parole officers and hire life coaches. Everybody agrees with that, yet it's impossible almost to get it done. We're going to try to get it done in one or two, two cities as test cases. Yeah. But like the system is so hard to change, and it shouldn't be. Because everyone who looks at the facts, everyone who spends any time visiting a prison, visiting, talking to guys that have been on the inside, comes up with kind of the same conclusion, right? Yet we've got this world that's not close enough to it. People don't care enough about it. Mike, but, but, Mike, but let, let, let's talk facts, right? You're right. Everything should have life coaching. 
right? Because everybody makes a mistake and everybody goes through things. But once economics came involved, everything changes, right? Everybody gets paid. If you knew how many people actually receive a check by one person going to jail. Oh, no, I've been, we've been, <laughs> we've been, we've been studying that. I mean, it's, it's you shot. already know. Yeah. It's like, it's no. mind blowing that that many people is making checks off one person making a mistake and going to jail. And you saying states, you state can, can continue doing that. And we're going to continue getting paid from this level, this level, this level, this level. Instead of saying, no, let us help you, right? The good book says, I don't care what your religion is. The good book says it takes a village to raise a child. Then that's what our, that's what our country should be doing. That's what our community should be doing. We should be each one teach one. We got to teach people not to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Gang life. Gang life in Baltimore starts at nine years old. Nine years old, Mike. And you know the only thing that they're holding on to at nine years old is that they, they, they think they have somebody who cares enough for them, who will feed them or find them money or whatever it is. And it don't matter who it hurts or who it damages, right? And then the economics come in again. The system, the system, the system. Yeah. Now we had, I don't know if you've ever met Wallow. He calls himself Wallow267. 267. 267 was his number. I had him on the podcast. He is the most charismatic guy, but he got put in the system at 11. 11 and he got out, you know, 20 years plus the 11 was 17, 27 years. He got out at like 39, uh, with a Ray Lewis attitude. I don't know where he got the Ray Lewis attitude. He had the Ray Lewis attitude and he said, he's going to turn his thousand dollars, which he had from his grandmother into 10,000 into a hundred thousand into a million into 10 million and then into generational wealth. And man, he's well on his way with that. But he's like, I ain't make no excuses. I'm not going to let anyone tell me who I am. I know who I am. I mean, it literally sounded like a mini version of Ray. <laughs> you, I'm going to introduce you to him. You're going to love this guy. You got uh, to. But that's what that's what that wall says right there. See what that 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 image says. That's that's my brand. No excuses. None. There are no excuses in life. I'm serious. No matter what you've been going through, what you've dealt with, what you keep have, what you what you continue to deal with, whatever it is, Mike, you have to make up in your mind what's serious. What's important in my life? What is my foundation? When, when, when COVID comes around, think about this. COVID comes and, and everybody, and we're on lockdown, this and that. But COVID was a perspective, right? I lost my dad to COVID. So nobody has to express to me how serious COVID is. But what in the midst of COVID, what could you have learned? This is the first time in our history that we've ever had where you could have spent time for yourself and be selfish about it, about making yourself a better person and making the people around you better. That's why when No Excuses came out, I put this car workout out there and I started to introduce people to my life that I started at 10 years old. And I said, guess what? I'm 45, but I'm still doing the same thing because I have a foundation. So the foundation is what gives me the security. No matter what storm comes, I'm going to be okay. And that's the foundation. That's the mentality that we have to teach people. What does it mean to control your own life and not be influenced? I always tell people this. It's two things you got to figure out in life, Mike. The difference between detours and distractions. Two differences. Because a detour can be detouring you to the wrong place or the right place. And every distraction, small or big, can change your life forever. And until you figure that out, it's, it's, you're going to always be in, I'm happy, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm confused, I'm abused, I'm disappointed, I'm, yeah, too many emotions. 
Yeah. Listen, Ray, I wanted to say thank you. This has been awesome. Every time I see you, I get re-energized. I feel like I'm a schmuck. I got to work a little harder. You know, I went running this morning with me, me and my buddy. We run in the morning. We probably ran three miles, probably at a 10-minute pace, chit-chatting the whole way. Um, and I'm looking at you, and I'm like, all right, we got to pick that pace up tomorrow. Yeah, because I told, I, told I told a dude on my bike yesterday. He was like, uh, how far are you going? I said, I don't know, man. I got about three more hours left. He was like, hey, man, let me talk to you about something. I said, listen, I got three more hours left. And I can't talk to nobody right now. <laughs> I, 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 I got to get this out of the way. And I ended up in the, what, the 67 miles. And I was like, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I'm going to make it. But I'm telling you, Mike, you know where it's at. Come on, man. As successful as you have, you have as you are, it's, it's straight mentality, man. And, and we take nothing else from today. Mondays on top of Tuesdays on top of Wednesdays on That's top it. of Thursdays. I, I'll never forget that. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna collaborate on some criminal justice stuff i'm gonna, I'm do, gonna do a little homework on what you're doing yeah uh, get you to come see some of our guys at one point so thanks a ton guys this was next with novo with the legendary ray lewis thank you my friend thank you it was awesome